This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. In today's world, customers have so much coming at them. We know this inevitably. We are all bombarded with media and messages everywhere we look. And this has created a huge challenge in the marketing industry. How do you stand out and how do you engage with new customers? If you think back when there were three television stations, four television stations, you really didn't have to do a lot of marketing. You didn't have to really engage people because they had limited choice. But flash forward to now, not only do you have all the broadcast, you have all the cable, then you have all the streaming that's available. Now you really have to engage the audience. So your product has to go up. It has to be a next level product. But then you also have to make it easy for the audience to, one, discover, fall in love with, and then connect with on a regular basis your content. That's what's really been happening. It's that whole delivery mechanism with so much more competition and so much more choice out there. That's what marketers have had to adapt to. And that's why it's so important to stay on that learning edge with the audience and be where they are rather than trying to force them to come where you are. On today's episode, I'm joined by a fascinating man, Steve Bouchong. Steve started his career as an engineer at General Motors and then developed a passion for marketing by engaging with the consumers and the drivers. He eventually found himself at Disney where he stayed around for 30 years, developing and working on some of the best marketing campaigns in the world before he broke off to start his own company, Bashong Media. This man is so insightful and he has seen a lot in his career. I know you're going to love this episode. Check it out. You know, people's names come across the, you know, the, the desk of like who, who we get to interview, you know, and like you were one that I remember, of course, an incredible background and a story from the engineering kind of big early days. And then I want to kind of hear how all this weaved together through your time at Disney, of course, and, and then what you're doing now. But you were one guest that I was like, oh, this is going to be a cool story. So <laughs> I'm grateful that you, you know, took some time to be here and um, it's just, I'm excited to get into it. So let's, let's do it. I want to just start really kind of the beginning of, you know, your your story. When I look at your background, I see like a lot of interesting, like magical intersections is kind of what I see is like interesting things happening along the way that led you to the places that you were. And so where did it start for you in terms of just this interest, this maybe love affair with marketing or this early days kind of dance with with this concept of marketing? Was this in the engineering days at college? Was this kind of after your time more at Disney? But what did the beginning of this marketing, you know, relationship start for you? 
Yeah, I'd say the um, the start of the professional relationship with marketing um, started when I was at General Motors. So I was I was in engineering and we were designing new product vehicles. But the only way to do that and actually sell the vehicles is to make sure you're getting the consumer input into the design. So we created this way of doing mass market research with engineers interviewing consumers while they were with the vehicle. So imagine, for example, you have 500 people coming in and you're going to have them drive a bunch of different cars. You put an automotive engineer next to them and you interview them while they're driving. And so, for example, they're driving a car and they go around a turn. They say something and the engineer asks them a question. How was it? The engineer can then translate what the consumer was expressing into engineering specifications. So that's how I'll say my my love or my interest in marketing started is about getting consumer insights into directly into product development. Wow. So and those kind of insights are so interesting because you're getting that you're not you're getting that direct it's almost like direct loop of like feedback and then you're able to iterate, make changes. Obviously at GM you have a lot of resources, a lot of support. Were there some kind of early days, maybe big wins that also kind of added to this love of marketing and kind of set you on that path? Were some early kind of projects you worked on or things that really kind of allowed you to see, oh, wow, the path is being lit now. Now I see this future career. Well, it was interesting because, you know, marketing wasn't my destination. Okay. It's been a step on my journey. However, I'll say something that's been continuous on that journey is a closeness to the market, to an audience, to people. You know, quick wins. You know, when we redesigned some of the door striker panels on GM cars, so they stopped sounding like a tin can and sounded more like a a BMW or a Mercedes, those were early wins. We were able to actually take it to the engineers, get something in production and get something out. When, you know, my colleagues were doing the same thing sort of in seat design and we actually transformed seats for new products. So those are some of the early wins that that demonstrated to me that getting consumer insights into product design was a real key element to success for a company. Now, a lot of marketing, a lot of marketers don't have that linkage to product design. A lot of marketers, I found, you know, that what they're doing more is more of the promotion side of things rather than actually getting the information back in into product design. So I think in some marketing activities, there's a disconnect from where the real power lies in marketing. Mm, I love that. So you know, I've, I've spoken to some some marketing leaders that come from the product side and they have that kind of rare kind of insight of like, okay, I was part of the product development of this. I was in those meetings and they got to interact maybe in similar ways that you you had a GM. Then other marketing leaders, to your point, don't, don't always have that. And they have to kind of learn uh, various ways to get those kinds of insights. Tell me about the, you know, the transition into Disney and kind of the outside looking into that opportunity. And what did you see? What were you excited about? And then what are some of the things that you dove into in the early days there? Because I know you were there for over 30 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just over 30 years. I mean, that's so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was interesting because I started in Europe when we were building a theme park. Wow. And, you know, it's funny. So I wasn't in a marketing role. I was in a finance business process type of role. However, Understanding what our end goal was and making sure our, our rides were operational the most amount of time possible, they were giving the right guest experience when they came in. You know, all of that was built, and you could trace that back to you know our maintenance procedures, our maintenance processes. 
So again, it's it's tying everything. And I think that's really critical if you abstract marketing to how does the company get close to the consumer? It's how do you tie what each of the individual employees is doing to that consumer experience? That's what I think that's what marketing can do if they can't directly impact the, the product. They can bring that and help the rest of the company understand how what they do is tied to the consumer experience. So in, the, in that same vein of, you know, consumer experience, it's it's obvious that, you know, there's been this kind of rising, rising, cons, you know, customer expectations and all sorts of industries we're, we're learning. And, you know, meeting these kind of customer expectations can be more difficult depending on the approach and the marketer you ask. I'm curious kind of how has this played out for you as you're working with other brands or just on your own team in terms of tackling this consistent kind of challenge of the rising customer expectation? Yeah. So I don't think it's gotten harder, although some, you know, there's statistics out there that say that it has gotten harder. Mm -hmm. I think it's always been hard because consumers are always evolving. They're always changing. And then somebody comes in with something new and it changes expectations. So the key is really to be agile enough to adapt what you're trying to do as a marketer. And I think as long as you're thinking about your audience and, you know, this is going to be over and over again, thinking about your audience, where are they consuming the messaging what is it that they're really looking for? Trying to understand that, you can be successful. But I don't think it's gotten harder. I just think maybe we just need to be a little more agile than we had to be in the past because there's so much more coming at consumers today. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, I think that's something that if I reflect back on, you know, just the past couple of years, even even beyond that, I mean, look at a decade of just being in tech. It's one thing for sure is the amount of information has certainly not slowed down and, you know, and and in the in the marketing world, especially, you know, thinking about what it's what it's like today to either support marketing or be in a modern day marketer in this world with so much coming at us, you know, and how do you slow down? How do you listen, you know, and cultivate this and this engaged audience in 2022? Whereas before, maybe some of the things that were working in the past were were on the table, but now look, you know, hybrid events are here, virtual events are here, people are kind of shifting back into in-person stuff, but it seems like it's impacted a lot of strategies, right? And how, on how marketing leaders can really support their teams and in getting into the, you know, the hearts and minds of their customer. It's, it's interesting because you talked about a couple of years, think about, so I was in broadcast television as a, as a, a senior executive at, at Disney. And if you think back when there were three television stations, four television stations, you really didn't have to do a lot of marketing. You didn't have to really engage people because they had limited choice. But flash forward to now when you've got, not only do you have all the broadcast, you have all the cable, then you have all the streaming, okay, that's available. Now you really have to engage the audience. So your product has to go up. It has to be a you know, next level product. But then you also have to make it easy for the audience to, one, discover, fall in love with, and then connect with on a regular basis your content. So I think that's what's, that's what's really been happening. It's that whole delivery mechanism with so much more competition and so much more choice out there. You know, that's what marketers have had to adapt to. And that's why it's so important to stay on that, that learning edge with the audience and be where they are rather than trying to force them to come where you are. Hmm. So how are you working with folks today? I know that you've more recently actually left Disney. Was it last year? No, no. At the end of this past year, 2021. Yeah. 2021. So um, now, look, I mean, you've got a, such an interesting, you know, career history there, seen, I mean, certainly seen a ton of growth. And, you know, I look at someone who spent that much time there and known, wow, this is someone who I know has a lot invested in themselves personally. 
I mean, I feel like there's no way you could be there and not invest heavily in yourself and be a part of that. And so now kind of looking out of the landscape, I'm curious to kind of like, how are you helping other executives? What are you, what's your message to marketing leaders and folks that you're working with now? And what are you kind of most excited about kind of in the coming year? It's, it's interesting because I have a lot of conversations with with CMOs from all different types of companies um, right now. The you know we talk about a few different things. Some of the key things are it still keeps coming up. What kind of language should we be using in order to connect with the CEO? You know the CFO, the CTO. So how do we show our value as a business executive rather than just what they may hold off as somebody who knows how to do pretty things and say nice things. So it's really about focusing on what the business, you know, the business results are of the marketing activities. So that's one of the key things. Another key thing is how do we help our, how do we help our teams be as effective as possible? So as executives, look, we loved what we did and we still like to get our hands dirty, but we have to be very careful. So what we have to do is we have to really, you know, develop our executives, the people who report into us, so that they can carry the message out and they and we can sort of amplify the strategies that we have by them doing it and pushing your know, decision making down the path. Now, ways of doing that is, you know, continuously developing the future leaders of our businesses. The third area that we really talk about is about emotional intelligence. And it's about, okay, so how do you really create an environment where people are going to thrive? Because if your team's thriving, they're going to be able to engage with your audience a lot more in a lot better way. So it's about how do you do that? And you know, one of the things I really talk a lot about is how do you lead with a coaching mindset by sort of developing, engaging, listening, you know, understanding where somebody else is coming from. And I think what's really interesting when we start talking about empathy, we talk about empathy for our teams, but the real, you know, the key for a marketer is how do you understand your audience? How do you understand your consumer? So there's empathy that really comes in there. And if you think about Ideal, the, the, um, the company, the sort of the idea company, when you think about the design process, they always start with empathy. Understand the people that you're designing something for, that you're designing a product or a process for, what are they going through? How are they living it? And only then can you come up with something that's going to be better. Is there a way that, you know, maybe take us a little bit into your methodology. I love this, like creating, you know, an environment that, you know, that's that's conducive for your ploy, your your team to win. You know, we talk a lot about these high performing teams that sit inside of marketing, but really inside of all these businesses, there's these folks are high performers moving at a certain level of velocity and cultivating that safe space where they can really come alive and bring all themselves to this opportunity is so key you know, not just in the Fortune 100, but certainly beyond. How are you How are you helping, you know, some of these brands do that? Because I think that's something that I've talked about a little bit. It's come up with some, some marketing leaders, but it sits in the, for me, it sits right there in the middle of, you know, what does this space look like for your team? How do you cultivate that in this new age where people are not in the office a lot, they're connecting in different ways? You know, can we depend on each other in the same way like we used to? How do we collaborate how are you helping leaders kind of foster this environment that you speak of? I love that. So through our team coaching, what we'll do is, you know, we'll work with, we'll work with the team and the stakeholders to make sure we have alignment. I think one of the things, and I've talked with a lot of people about this, a lot of people, they think they have a purpose. They go to their job every day for a certain purpose, but they're not sure if it's aligned with what the business is, is looking for. I think Gallup has done, has some studies on it. 
And it's only like 29% of people know why they really show up every day, you know, and are they really contributing to the overall objectives of the company? So one of the things we try to do is we try to work with the stakeholders, the senior executives or the sponsors, really to, to have them talk about and explain what's the purpose of the team. And when I talk about team, it's really a group of people that work together in order to accomplish a, a combined mission, if you will, that they can't achieve it alone. They have to be working together to do that. Sometimes we can't get that from the most senior executives. You know, they'll, a lot of times CEOs, you know, will be talking at really high levels and it's kind of vague. So then what we'll do is we'll work with the team and say, okay, so what do you think your purpose is? What are your key objectives? How are you going to measure them? Okay. And then what we'll do is we'll take that back to the most senior executives and say, hey, the team is thinking it's this. Because sometimes you need something to reflect on, reflect back against. And so what we'll do is we'll ensure that we're getting alignment there and we'll dance between those two groups of folks. Then what we do is we'll work with the team itself to say, okay, how do you guys want to work together? What do you want it to be? How do you want to experience your time together? Whether it be on Zoom, whether it be in face-to-face, -face, other parts of the world, how are you going to show respect for one another? What are you going to do when somebody's kind of stepping out of line to let them know? Are you going to give them a yellow card, for example? It's a great tool. Oh, here's a yellow card. I think you went a little too far there. Bring people back. And you do that over a period of time, all of a sudden it creates behaviors. It creates a common set of behaviors that people want to really adopt. And it creates just a different space. When people talk about psychological safety, mm -hmm. when you can create that in the team, what you're going to do is you're going to have people who aren't afraid to speak up. You're going to get greater you know, cross-section and I'll say intersectional ideas. And what you're also going to do is you're going to be able to get greater diversity if participation inside the team itself. So those are the types of things we do, you know, as, as an executive and team coach, the things that I work with companies and executives in order to accomplish. I love that. Is there a sweet spot of kind of customer for you? Just curious. I feel like, you know, uh, you know, I, I make up a story that a guy like you could help any size business. I mean, it's like if you had some time to, to sit down with Steven, I guarantee there's some value there to be shared. But is there kind of a sweet spot of folks that you're working with? Like, are you sticking in the Fortune 100 world or, you know, or is it a different kind of persona? Who is like that kind of sweet spot of segment that you like to support? Yeah, it's it's different. So it's interesting. So I've been supporting a lot of startups, Okay. you know, I'll say solopreneurs or people who have, you know, they're, they're, they've been in business for a year, they've got a small team around them and they're trying to figure out, you know, where to go. And so I'll just work with them and sort of exploring what strategies are there. Cool. When it comes to team, it's usually a, a more of a mid-sized company or a mid-sized department in a large company. Um, one of the things we did recently, uh, I was working with two teams that were coming together. So, you know, companies restructure. So now you have two teams that haven't worked previously together coming together. Well, it's ripe for determining, well, how do you want to set this up from the get-go so that you're successful? So working with the team leader to sort of determine what you know, her objectives are, and then working with the team together to determine how do they want to work together? What are the ground rules that they want to establish for one another? So that's, that's kind of where I, where I fit. Mid-sized companies now or mid-sized departments in larger companies. Mm, got it. Now, thinking about just impact, like who's Im impacted you, because I'm curious about this, like who's who's been, you know, I'm sure there's many people that have been, been influential in your in your early career. But has there been maybe someone that, you know, comes to mind that has really been key for you, whether they were a mentor or just, a, you know, someone that provided a stepping stone? If so, kind of what lesson did they teach you that kind of still sticks with you today? 
there are many people that have impacted me that either I've been a mentor to and then I've learned from or that, you know, have mentored me. But I think one person who really stands out, her name um, is Sue Gatchel. She was my engineer in charge at General Motors. Okay, she was a PhD, ergonomics, new product design. She was a woman in what was traditionally a very, very homogeneous male environment. And what I learned, I guess, from her was tenacity, to not give up, and also to make sure you're always prepared. And that if, if for some reason you, you fail, you can't get your message across or something doesn't work, don't let it get you down. Get right back up. And, you know, Brene Brown has talked about this ever since then. Love Brene it's not Brown. about how you fall, it's about how you get back up. I love that. So I think that, that if I thought of one person, she would be the one that really, really impacted me. Mm. Is there a kind of a favorite failure along the way, a favorite? I'm sure there's been some amazing lessons learned, I'm sure, inside and outside of Disney and, and GM. But is there is there a kind of a favorite failure that sticks out to you as like something that maybe at the time looked like, pretty bleak, but either set you up for success later or just provided a really good learning? Yeah. You know, I think there are too many failures. <laughs> um, but, and, and, I, and it's interesting because we all, we all, we talk about failure and we talk about fail fast and stuff like that. It's really thinking about, look, if you're not doing something new, if you're never failing, you're never growing. So it's really about what's the attitude that you have? What's the perspective you have when something doesn't go the way you anticipated? And I just heard something the other day. I was thinking about that. If you think about it as an experiment, as long as you're conducting the experiment, whether it works out the way you thought or it doesn't, it's still a success because it's data you're getting back. And as long as you take it from that perspective as a learning moment, even if it went right, okay, what did I learn? Could it have gone better? Things like that. Really, for every experience that you, when you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, what are you learning from it? I think that's, you know, when I think about failure, there's no one particular that stands out, but I think it's the way you process it and your perspective and how you get past hmm. um, the outcome. Was that pretty prevalent inside of Disney? Is that kind of part of the culture there that just kind of encouraged that perspective around failure? Hmm. It's interesting. There are, I think there's a mix of cultures in Disney. Hmm. Um, there are some that are extremely creative. You think about our Imagineers, you think about people coming up with new, I guess, content concepts. Um, in marketing and television, for example, you know, our writer producers who are experimenting with stuff, look, they'll come up with a, we'll call it a rough draft or, or a rough cut, and it gets shot down. And it hurts, but it's how the notes are given that are really important. And you can see the difference between somebody who has really grown as a creative in the way they give notes on other people's creative you know, helping the people learn from it rather than saying, this is, this is horrible. You just need to go back to the drawing board. So I think in Disney, there are, are some really good ones, but there are some places where historically experimentation wasn't necessarily encouraged. And when I moved into my role 15 years ago as, a, as SVP of marketing, um, there were people on my team that had gotten beaten down by previous leadership because they experimented some, with something and it didn't work out. So they were, they were cautious. So I had to spend years trying to tell them and, and create the environment to bring back that ability to take a risk because if it doesn't pan out, you're not going to get fired. No, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to learn from it and we'll go forward. Is there, is there any kind of back to like the, any kind of campaigns or anything that stuck out, whether it's was at Disney or, or elsewhere, was there any kind of campaign that 
you were really excited about and maybe ended up being not so successful. Uh, specific kind of, you know, a strategy or a target that you guys were really excited about doing then when you launched it, it just didn't didn't pan out or wasn't as successful as you hoped it would be. It's interesting. So I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll take that and I'll sort of pivot that question to things that we try to do internally to improve our marketing rather than talking about it in a specific campaign, hmm. but something that we try to do to improve our marketing and what was the result? You know, one of the things we tried to do is Part of my role was to ensure that we were maximizing our marketing ROI, okay, return on investment. And what we do is we would use analytics myself and I'd partner with uh, a couple other executives. And we worked to create incredible models that allowed us to, in a predictive manner, to, to determine what was the value of investing one extra dollar in a type of media versus another type of media. And you know, the failure I think we had there was it works. The model works. It was great. We were able to communicate what it was. The finance people got it. Senior executive got it. But the people who were actually creating content, they weren't focusing on and they weren't so much interested in that. They were really focused on making sure they had the, the best content and putting it out as many places as possible, even if there were diminishing returns. And in a financially constrained environment, what I think that prevented us from doing is putting that where it could have had a, a, a greater impact. Um, may have been a less sexy placement, but greater impact versus putting something out there where it looked beautiful, but the impact on audience viewership was lower. Mm. So um, what would you say is you're thinking about like a skill that you've really cultivated, you know, over the course of your career? I mean, because I see you've gone from, you know, individual contributor to leader you know, and at scale, you know, doing some interesting things. What would you say is really kind of been maybe it's just one, maybe it's two things that come to mind that, that a skill you've really cultivated that still really, you know, shows itself as a benefit today? You know, I think curiosity, I don't know if curiosity is a skill, but maybe it is. To have an inquisitive mind either about other people, how people are working, how they might be able to work better to think about the audience that we're trying to attain, what is it about them, to think about new technologies. I think curiosity is something that I've been fortunate to be in in situations where I've been forced to develop it. And I think, I honestly think that's one of the things that would benefit a lot of executives and people in marketing, really any, any business function, just to be curious, be curious about the person you're working with. How might that help you develop a better relationship that then you can that can blossom into something even stronger? I love that. Well, you just said my, that's that's literally my favorite skill um, to cultivate, and I think I do believe it's a superpower. I agree with you. I'm very bullish on curiosity, and as I reflect on the doors that's open for me, just because of by nature, I'm voraciously curious about everything and how that's led me to some incredible adventures and connections with people. Um, and so I just love that you you could have you know said listening or all kinds of things that that I'm sure are in your tool belt. But I love that you pulled the curiosity you know tool out because I think man it it really really resonates. And um, I agree. I mean I'm just I think that it's such it's it's exceptional. And so to hear that from you is very confirming. So I'm glad you said curiosity. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> what are you kind of most excited about in terms of like this digital world that's shifting around? You know you hear a lot about metaverse and Web three and all these things that a lot of marketers are certainly talking about and some brands are trying to figure it out. What's your just kind of perspective on that stuff? Like, are you observing? Are you kind of actively like diving into seeing what 
brands are doing? Are you incorporating any of this stuff into what you're, you know, teaching and coaching or in, in your company? So in, in, in my work as a coach, I'm not integrating that at this time. However, having conversations with a group of coaches around the world about what could technology enable us to do to have greater impact in the world and how we might do that. What I think is really interesting, and it's early days, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. let's experiment. You know, there's a, you know, if you think about the metaverse, um, I know somebody who has actually bought up plots of land in the metaverse using, you know, using coin, using Ethereum or other coins Mm -hmm. and creating a sports center in the, think of a resort center inside of the metaverse and is now going to begin engaging conversations with hoteliers and restaurateurs to see if they want to have a presence in their, you know, resort. So what this does for a brand, if you think about it, a brand could begin engaging future audiences or or audiences in a virtual environment. There may even be actual transactions in the virtual environment, or by developing a brand presence there and you know the, with a solid brand message, engage somebody that they carry on with them into the less than virtual or our normal world that we we live and breathe in every day. Hmm. I, I love that example, actually, and I've heard more and people, more and more people doing things like that. Um, and I'm, I'm all very curious about it as well. Seeing how some people are, its application is really interesting. And I've got some friends that I used to work at Google with that have they dove head into this blockchain world a few years back, and they are, I would say, way further, you know, around the track than I am. And it's so interesting to see some of the stuff these brands are doing, even on the B two B side, right? Like thinking about brands that don't have this like this real strong D to C play, mm-hmm. but they're still like, you know, even though they're, they're, they're selling infrastructure, software at scale and all kinds of large ticket style engagements, but they're still thinking about how can we, you know, incorporate NFTs into this and how can we, you know, get a seat at the table in the metaverse. And, and I, I think it's to your point, it's very early and I'm, I'm cur- I am curious to see how people start playing and engaging. Cause it seems to have a lot of folks as a radars right now. And um, it's one that I'm, I am curious to see how it plays out. Yeah. I think one of the things, I mean, you, you talked about blockchain. I think the blockchain concept and technology has applications that we haven't imagined yet. You know, when you, you talk about, you know, the, the distributed nature of it in terms of having a real, I guess, center of truth that could be, you know, it could be completely completely hidden from other folks. It could be something that could apply. You think about contracting. You think about if if I'm a photographer and I'm going to start selling um, my photos out, rather than going through a, a traditional stock distributor, I can actually put something on there, you know, tag them. And then if anybody wants them, as soon as they transact, I get paid. So by using that, we can actually empower a lot of artists and content creators and creators of all sorts mm-hmm. to have more direct to consumer, more direct to, you know, a user um, type of experience that's there for them profitably. Yeah, I agree. I'm, yeah, it, it's good. It's just, I, I remain excited. And also as a team here internally, we talk about how we can start to incorporate this as well. I mean, we've got, you know, 20 shows on our network right now. We're always talking to executives like yourself and we have an interesting intersection of telling cool stories about 
the Fortune 100 and beyond. And and so how can we start to, again, use some of these really cool digital assets and new ways to engage with our audience and, of course, our sponsors? And, and there's an interesting conversation that we're having even now about that. So that's awesome. We've got a little bit of time. And Stephen, I want to kind of ask you, is there anything that you want to make sure that we get into? I want to give you the platform to share what you want. Um, before we get into the lightning round and ask some fun questions, is there anything that you want to want to share with with other marketing leaders or any topic you want to make sure we dive in? Let's do that. You know, I, I think the the only thing I want to encourage is I, I love innovation and I love what diversity can bring to innovation. There was a book that was written, I think it's by a guy named Johansson. It's called The Medici Effect. Oh yeah, I've heard of that book. Yep. And really talks about the crossroads. And what happened is the Medici's you know, back in the Renaissance, they would bring together people from different backgrounds and they would have them, you know, they'd have them coexist and amazing things happen. I mean, you know, the Italian Renaissance happened because of this. So I would encourage marketers to, and, you know, really any leader to encourage the troublemaker, <laughs> you know, you know, just like, you know, you know, Apple had their their ads, you know, the crazy ones, mm-hmm. you know, encourage that kind of existence and coexistence on your teams and nurture it, nourish it and see what can come out of it. I love that. I mean, you that brings me brings reminds me of we had the chief technical officer of AMD on another show that I host. Um, Mark Papermaster is his name. This gentleman worked at Steve Jobs and Apple early days. And he's a really interesting guy. He's a really cool background in tech. Well, he's the current CTO. And he talked about this concept they have internally there around, um, and to your point, it is they they intentionally pick people that have like opposing viewpoints and put them into kind of pods to discuss mm. where where we're heading. So they intentionally want that that pressure, not conflict, but they want that kind of opposing view. And so they create this kind of container around it. And they're, it's how they're able to move a lot of things quick and be thinking three, four, five years in the future, which if you're AMD, you got to be thinking, how do we get faster? How do we get? So I thought that was interesting. And I love your point of like, you know, stoking the flame of those kind of the the, the wild ones, right? And, and and inviting that in because that's the sort of thing that will can foster more innovation and bring it that next level. Let's get in. Are you ready for the lightning round? Let me take a breath. Hold on. Are you ready for this? Get centered. Okay. Take a breath. <laughs> that's right. Here we go. This is it. Um, and for those of you who are curious, uh, this podcast is actually brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce is a really interesting brand that when I think about Salesforce, you think about marketing and engagement coming together. So learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Shout out to Salesforce. And we've got Stephen Bashong on marketing trends. First question, Stephen, texting or talking? Texting. Okay. What do you love and appreciate about yourself? Um, My curiosity. That will never get old. I love that. Um, (laughs) What's your favorite day of the week? Tuesday. (laughs) I love it. Um, It's also my birthday today. So the fact that it's your favorite day and it's my birthday, that's just a a triple win. Wow. Lunar New Year as well. That's it. What's your favorite city in the US besides the one you live in? I think I say Boston. Okay. You're the second person that said Boston to that question, I'll I'll say. Um, What was the last film you saw in a theater, if you can remember? Oh, in a theater. In a theater. I can't remember, but the last film I saw was in Kanto. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? No, oh, every language in the world. Connect with more people. 
Got it. What's your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. I share that one with you as well. Um, favorite live concert? Favorite live concert, The Stones. Ooh, that's a mic drop on there. Um, scale of one to 10, 10 being amazing, one being not so amazing. How good of a driver are you? <laughs> Seven. Okay. Please fill in the blank. Something wise your elders taught you was? Compassion and learning. Would you choose invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Okay. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? No. <laughs> if you weren't coaching and teaching and being a thought leader, what would you be doing? Playing golf. Mm. We share that as well, Stephen. This is, you're like four for four on commonalities here. <laughs> We're going to have to get together. <laughs> we got to get together. It's, it's a done deal. Uh, what is your least favorite marketing buzzword? There are way too many of them. Way too many. <laughs> there are. There are. Um, what, would you, what would you go back to tell your younger self about being a leader? This may, maybe this is where I'd say listen more. Love it. Can't, no, ne we'll never get old. But listen at, at a real deep level. Mm. I love I love that. So awesome. Cool. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being on Marketing Trends. A real honor this day on my birthday it was such a treat. And um, I'm excited about the companies that you get to engage with. I mean, oh my goodness, someone like you with, with the experience, but just the cultivation of curiosity and compassion that you have is clear. So I know we're honored. This is going to be an awesome episode and just really wish you the best this year. Thanks for being here. Jeremy, thank you very much. It was a real pleasure. Appreciate it. Awesome. Enjoy your birthday. Thanks. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.